Morning, everyone. Welcome this morning. When I uh, see the beautiful lights that reflect what we're doing and I smell the bulletin, and, which, by the way, the, at the top is where you smell the frankincense. <laughs> and everyone does this at the same time. And when I hear the music, I will just say uh, I'm just so grateful for those who work behind the scenes here at Bethany, Eric and a creative team, and Bart. And could we just give them thanks for what they do? to make Advent come alive. And I'm grateful to be your pastor. It's a real privilege, so thank you. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful that we can be within these walls this morning in the beauty of a city that we love, in the beauty of uh, the abundance that we enjoy, and we're mindful, Father, of the dissonance this morning between our peace and a world at war. And so... So we pray... We pray that uh, uh, through we who are your people, the scent of hope uh, would fill our world in some measure, Father. Fill our homes this week. Fill our relationships with that aroma that's pleasing to you. Teach us now, we pray, in the name of Christ. Amen. Smell is the most powerful of our senses regarding memory. Uh, In third grade, my teacher was named Miss Lemon. She was really old, like she had to be 50 or something like that. (laughs) And uh, I remember she had called for, you know, we were doing a little project of some sort. I don't remember the project, but it was to be done in silence. And I was talking to the person next to me and she, I don't know if teachers can do this anymore, but she came and she took my head and put it down on the desk and said, you're done, be quiet. And I had to keep my head down on the desk for the next 10 minutes or something like that. And on my desk, there was some of that paste that you have <laughs> when you're in third grade, if you know it. As so over 10 minutes, I was smelling this paste so that to this day, even if I, when I walk into children's classrooms and I smell paste, the whole scene comes back. My disobedience, my guilty conscience, my anger at Miss Lemon, how old she was. I re- like every single detail is remembered because smell is a, is a memory trigger. And one of the premises of the Gospels, and really throughout the whole Bible, a premise is that Uh, we have a memory latent within us of the way the world ought to be. Uh, We haven't ever fully experienced shalom and peace, but we we have a longing for it. This is why we weep when we see Aleppo uh, and Sudan and uh, race riots and the killing of policemen in Dallas, as we saw earlier this summer. Our hearts are broken because there's something in us that longs for the world to be other than it is. And the fact that we even have this longing is evidence of the reality of the gospel for me. In other words, the fact that I long for peace makes me believe that uh, I'm I'm not okay with the way that the world is. And, And the fact that we're not okay is because God has placed eternity in our hearts. We long for, and the word I'm using this morning is, we long for the aroma of hope. We long for the aroma of hope. All of us do. And, the, and, and, and so this is beautiful, because when we come to the scripture, 
we see that aroma is a major theme, rarely considered, but a major theme in the scriptures, because uh, the reality is aroma is closely tied all through the scripture to worship, right? And so the act of the Magi, when we see this story that's so commonly told at this time of year, the act of the Magi coming and bringing gold, frankincense, and myrrh uh, to offer to Jesus as an offering, this story is more than just a backdrop for a great song, right? More than just uh, extra pieces to put in your nativity set. Oh, now we have three guys. Good, that's fun. Uh, actually, this story is at the core of this theme of aroma in, in the scriptures. And so we're going to look at aroma this morning toward two ends. Uh, if I understand aroma in the Bible and respond to it, I learn how to worship and I learn how to redefine success in my life uh, in terms of aroma. My calling ultimately is to be this aroma of Christ as we'll see. And if that is my definition of success, the aroma is manifesting uh, the, the, the smell of Christ, if we can say that way. If that is my definition of success, then what is promised in Isaiah can be a reality for me. In quietness and confidence is your strength. In other words, I can walk in the world knowing that the one thing God asks of me to display the character of Jesus is available to me. I can do that every day, and so can you. But it's our calling, and we have to embrace our calling and go after our calling. We do this this morning by considering aroma through the lens of three different participles, right? Uh, and so if you don't know English, uh, or maybe I don't, I'm not sure, but I call them participles, the stuff that ends in I-N-G, right? Uh, inhaling past aromas, discovering the definitive aroma, and becoming the present aroma. So inhaling, discovering, becoming, all looking at aroma this morning. And we begin here by uh, kind of giving an overview to you of aroma in the scriptures and understanding as we look back at how God interfaced with offerings and how God called for offerings, we look at inhaling past aromas. So that's where we begin this morning, inhaling past aromas. And I'm just going to say at the outset, God has always been into good smells. I'll just say it that way. God has always been into good smells. Uh, if you go to Leviticus chapter 1, verse 9, when God is setting up the tabernacle, God uh, has a whole system of offerings, and the, the offerings are to be burnt, and God says that uh, when you burn the offering, right, uh, here's what will happen. Uh, the smoke, it says, will ascend. And can you see it? It's going up. And then God says that, that smoke ascending, that's a sweet aroma pleasing to the Lord. So uh, when, when the burnt offering creates smoke, and when the smoke went up, it's called a soothing aroma to the Lord. And the word soothing means pleasing. And it actually implies, if not directly states, that this smell evokes an emotion, right? And we all know that it's true, smells evoke emotions. I ski some, and uh, there's one particular place where I ski uh, up by the pass called Silver Fur, and when you come down the bottom right by the lift is this wonderful uh, hut or pub or whatever you want to call it, but it's the food is being cooked there. And so as, you, like, as you're descending, you begin to smell hamburgers. Now, if you're not a vegetarian, and I'm not, for sure not, <laughs> for sure not a vegetarian, when I smell those burgers, it's drawing me in, right? 
I, like I want to stop skiing and eat. I don't need to eat. I've got, I'm not hungry, but the smell is so positive that I, I want it. I want it. Uh, it brings joy to me, right? Just the smell burst. And in fact, just saying this, I'm going to Red Mill for lunch. I just, <laughs> I just decided that I'm going to Red Mill for lunch because even the memory of the smell is positive, right? And so um, th- this, this smell of burgers emits positive emotions. And so what God is saying is sacrifices emit aromas and the aroma becomes tied in the heart of God to something that represents the heart of the worshiper. And so God says, when you offer this sacrifice in this way, it's, ple- it's a pleasing aroma. It, it evokes in God a positive emotion, a joy. And the first instance of this that you see in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 8, verse 21, when Noah, after the flood, offers a sacrifice, uh, kills uh, some things and burns them, and then uh, the smoke ascends. And again, Genesis 8, 21, pleasing aroma to the Lord, the sacrifice. Now, if you go ahead through the scriptures, you see over and over again these sacrifices offered. And so what begins to happen that becomes destructive and dangerous is people say, oh, uh, look, all I need to do to be pleasing to God is offer uh, a sacrifice. And so I light my thing and I put it on the altar and then I go on my merry way. And the danger is that the, the offering of the sacrifice becomes the thing rather than representative of the thing. Because what God wants is not smoke. What God wants is a changed heart, do you see? And so the changed heart is represented outwardly by the incense, but the danger, it's a very real danger today, even for we who don't use incense, which is most of us in the room, the real danger is this, we substitute outward forms of worship for transformation of heart. And we say, oh yeah, I went to church, therefore I'm holy. Oh yeah, I read my Bible, therefore I look like Jesus. And whatever it is that you fill in the blank as an outward form, you begin to say that this outward form is what constitutes worship. And in Ezekiel 6, this is God's complaint, though I paraphrase, God is saying there, I'm going to smash the altars of these people because they are offering soothing aromas. But in reality, though there's an aroma, the aroma is being offered to an idol. And so their heart has changed. (laughs) In other words, uh, Ezekiel 6.6, God is saying, look, it's not about the smoke in the end. It's about whether your heart is wanting to worship me. In other words, it's about the heart behind the smells. And over and over again throughout the history of the church, this is what we see often. We see outward forms carrying on with perfect propriety while the heart misrepresents God. Pedophilia covered up in the Roman Catholic Church, right? Uh, Ministry greed among evangelicals. Christians shooting each other over little doctrinal issues. All of these things are displeasing to God. Westboro Baptist Church pointing fingers, marginalizing. None of this is pleasing. And we have a beautiful set and beautiful music and beautiful smells, frankly, frankincense on our bulletins. Who gets that? That's all, it's all good, but it's only good if it represents a heart that is emitting the aroma of Christ. It's the only way it's good. Otherwise, God says it's actually offensive because you're misrepresenting what aroma is intended to represent, do you see? 
And so the definitive Christmas story related to aroma and worship is found in Matthew 2. We, we heard it read so beautifully this morning. And this story uh, it becomes an example of true worship because it, it contains four things I want to show you. It, 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 the proper object of worship, which is God. I mean, when these magi came, they came to worship God. And, and the danger throughout the Old Testament is that, yes, you're offering aromas, but you're offering aromas with a heart filled with idolatry. Not in this case. When the, when the Magi came, they came to worship the Christ child because it had been revealed to them through the study of scriptures that this one is God. And we're worshiping that God is the creator of the universe. That's good worship, right? So, so the proper object of worship, God... The proper sacrifice, in other words, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, none of them are cheap. And and all through the Old Testament, we see that when it comes to the matter of offering a sacrifice, when God says, look, I want you to put an animal here and offer it as a burnt offering, what God says over and over again is the the animal that you're to offer is to be your first, it's like the firstborn in the flock, right? It's the first, and if the first happens to be flawed in some way, then not the first, because I want the first and the best. I want the first and the best sacrifice to me. That's what, I mean, God says it. And, 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 and if it's the first and it's the best, it's sacrificial. And so when you fast forward in your Bible to the book of Malachi, uh, the people have become so spiritually blind that God says, look, you're not offering the right sacrifices. And they go, what do you mean we're not offering the right sacrifices? We eat a lamb every day. Yeah. A lamb with three legs, uh, you know, a blemished lamb, a sick lamb, a lamb that was going to die tomorrow anyway, that's what you're giving as an offering. No. <laughs> David said, I will not offer anything to God which costs me nothing, 2 Samuel 24, 24. So if an offering will be pleasing, it will be pleasing because I'm, I want to offer a sacrifice to God. I want it to be costly. So the proper object proper sacrifice, proper vehicle, which is aroma, and it results in kind of the proper end, which is the transformation of the Magi. They become involved in one of the first acts in the New Testament, anyway, of civil disobedience because Herod the king said, hey, come, let me know where this child is so that I can come and worship him, which is code for so that I can come and kill him. And, and, and the Magi then, having been warned uh, by, by God, they depart a different way and they refuse to tell Herod the location of the baby. They are preserving the life of God through civil disobedience, proper act of worship leads to transformation, which in this case leads to civil disobedience as they shelter uh, this refugee king. And all of this is coming, by the way, from Gentiles. In other words, uh, these aren't the Pharisees who know their Bibles so very well. These are people who have a little fragment somehow of Scripture, and they look at the stars. I don't know exactly. There's a debate regarding how they ended up knowing about this Christ child, but however they knew, they knew, they went, and what they offered as Gentiles was better worship than the original establishment, which should be a warning for all of us in the room. Because people can smell our values and our priorities. And how we park around here is more important than the notes you take. And how we treat our neighbors is more important than the texts we defend. And the hospitality that we offer uh, to those who view the world differently than we do is a pleasing aroma. So God is kind of changing the price tags here as he calls us to this life of worship. But this life of worship 
always results, when it's true worship, always results in this scent, this aroma, uh, and it's rooted in sacrifice, and its object is God, and it's pleasing, and it results in our transformation. So that's been going all through the Bible, inhaling past aromas. So we've inhaled past aromas. All of those past aromas were pointing toward the definitive aroma, which brings us to our second consideration, discovering the definitive aroma. And one of the most important texts that I'll uh, refer you to this morning is in Ephesians chapter 5. So if you turn to Ephesians 5, or or don't, uh, just listen either way, but but make sure you absorb this somehow. Listen, don't you love this? So Ephesians is this book where Paul is articulating basically our identity in Christ. You're filled with Christ, you're saved, you're adopted, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're sealed, you've been been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Like if your life is a cup, could I have your cup? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If your life is a cup, it's like Ephesians is like this. I'm just pouring in more and more and more and more. Are you empty? I'll fill you. That's what God says. Thank you, right? And so, so you're filled. So then he says, therefore, because you're full, be imitators of God. Well, that's easy, right? Just behave like God. Well, how would I do that? Here's how. Walk in love just as Christ loved you and gave himself up for us. Now, and here's the key phrase. Christ gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So God gave himself up for us. It's an offering. It's a sacrifice to God. And that sacrifice is of fragrant aroma. So what does this mean? Well, if you go to the book of Hebrews sometime, chapter 9, uh, this is what we learn. All through the Old Testament, there, there was blood. I mean, if you walk into either the tabernacle or the temple, it would smell more like a meat market or a barbecue that would smell like a place of worship, right? Because there's always death and blood and fire always present. So, sacrifices, right? So, so uh, that's the way it was. And, and what we discover then is in Hebrews 9, it says this. In the past, there was the blood of bulls and goats. If the blood of bulls and goats sanctify for the cleansing of flesh, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, how much more then will Christ cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living and true God? Hebrews 9, verses 13 and 14. So, so in other words here, what's significant is this. God has offered us pictures in the Old Testament of the ultimate sacrifice, but the ultimate sacrifice is Christ. So when Christ came, he, Christ wasn't deep into the sacrificial system because he was the turning point in history. He was the sacrifice. And Hebrews 10 says that Christ sweeps away all, everything that was sacrificed in the past, he sweeps it all away, takes the first away, Hebrews 10, 9, in order to establish the second. Now, so at Jesus' baptism, and just prior to the final week of his life, God says regarding Jesus, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Not hard to see why God was well pleased with Christ, because Christ's entire life was a sacrifice. And what do I mean by sacrifice? Sacrifice is this. This is always a sacrifice. Sacrifice means that I'm laying down something that would result in the, the ease of me or the comfort of me or the betterment of me in obedience to and so that another could prosper right? Like, so uh, if you're a baseball fan in the room, you know this because there's like literally 
there's the sacrifice. It's the bunt and it's the sacrifice fly. Now, when I teach in Europe, I could never use this illustration because it's hopeless. They don't know anything about baseball. Uh, and so baseball to them is curling to us. It's that boring, right? But, but we, we understand that if there's a runner on first and you have good pitching and it's a one nothing game, uh, like what you, what you need is you've got to get that runner to second base. And the best way to do that is for the guy at bat to bunt so that he gets thrown out at first so the other guy gets to advance. The other guy gets to advance. He'll score a run. This guy, his batting average can't go up. It's, it doesn't even count as a net bat. So when it comes time for contract season, if this guy's thinking, hey, look at me, my batting average is less because I sacrificed. Do you understand? I didn't even get a chance to score because I sacrificed. But who wins? The team wins. That's the point. Sacrifice. And so what we see here is that uh, Jesus' life was entirely a sacrifice. How do we know that? Because there's a phrase that occurs over and over again in the Gospel of John, not my own. Uh, my, my authority is not my own. My will is not my own. My teaching is not my own. My judgment is not my own. My work is not my own. My life is not my own. Everything that I am is rooted in this. Not my will, God, but yours. And it culminates, of course, in the garden where Jesus prays in the garden of Gethsemane on the last side of his life prior to his arrest. What does he say? God, if it's possible, if it's possible, let this cup pass. In other words, read between the lines. Here's Jesus. I don't want to die. Who could blame him? I don't want to die. Nevertheless, what? Not my will, but yours be done. Hello? That's sacrifice. And, and it's beautiful in the eyes of God. Sacrifice requires giving up. And the heart of worshipful sacrifice is a giving up of my will. And this is what makes Christ's sacrifice so powerful. Christ gives up his will. So how do we know that? Philippians chapter 2 says, look, uh, Jesus did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he what? He emptied himself, became a servant, took on the form of a human, became obedient, even to the point, obedient even to the point of death, and not just death, but death on a cross, as a falsely accused criminal and insurrectionist, Jesus died. So Jesus had everything, and he, he gave everything up, in order that the life of Christ might be seen in him. And it's this prayer in the garden that makes Christ's life the sweetest aroma in history, right? Because he had the most to lose, and though he had the most to lose, he gave all it up. So it's not like he gave up a little bit. He gave up everything, including equality with God, in order that he might become human, not just human, but a servant, not just a servant, but a false accused servant who would die on a cross. <laughs> That's worship. And that's why uh, just before uh, the final week of Jesus' life, Jesus ascends onto the Mount of Transfiguration and he's changed into his glorious form and, and uh, Peter's up there with Jesus and they all hear God's voice saying, this is my son, my beloved son, in whom I am what? Does anyone know? Well, pleased. Well, I, I love this. Because here's a life, a human, wholly devoted to the will of God. That's remarkable. Now, here's the thing. At, right at this point is where it gets dangerous for evangelicals because we're, like, we're tempted at this point to go, wow, isn't that awesome what Jesus did for me? I mean, he sacrificed. And that kind of then, this is the dangerous subtext. He sacrificed, and this is, by the way, heresy. 
but this is what we tend to think. He, he died so I don't have to. He, like he suffered so I'll never have to suffer. And so like we even have a theological word for this, vicarious, right? Like I'm identifying with it and I'm enjoying all the fruits of it. Even though I don't have to do any of the work. Just like the sounders, right? Beautiful. I mean, I'm back here last Saturday night because we have a concert here and uh, I'm watching the penalty kicks on Eric's computer, ditching the concert, my confession to you. Like, because I had to see the penalty kicks. And so I went to the back and I'm watching penalty kicks and there were some brass players. I don't know if they're here this morning, but they had to be on uh, at a certain point uh, in the concert, as, like as soon as this group has finished singing and the penalty kicks are happening, and two of these five brass players are huge sounder fans, I can tell. And, and then uh, the, just as the last kicker, this Torres guy, sets the ball down, the song ends on this stage and the poor brass players have to leave. <laughs> that was the only act of sacrificial worship that happened that night, was those, those two brass players leaving. <laughs> and going and playing, the rest of us, like, whoa, we're winners. What do you mean we're winners? We didn't do anything other than cheer them on, right? And can I just say, Jesus didn't die so we could cheer him on. That's not the point. The, the aroma that's pleasing to God is the aroma of sacrifice, and the perfect aroma is a perfect sacrifice, and that's Christ, but the story doesn't end there. Read Romans 6. Hey, let's, look, since Christ died for me and, and his death now is a display of grace because all my sins are washed away, then the more I sin, the more my sins are washed away. So let's sin that grace may increase. And here's Paul. You know, heresy, warning, no, never. Why? Because don't you know, this is Paul, don't you know that if Christ died, you died with him. And so you also are called to live then a life of sacrifice. So in the same way that Jesus said to the Father, it's not my will, it's yours, we're called, invited and called to say daily, not my will, but yours, Jesus. <laughs> so that you then, Christ, have in me a vessel in whom you can express your life. And when we then give up our rights, we become a beautiful aroma. Just like good King Wenceslas. My, one of my favorite Christmas songs. Popular Christmas Carol tells the, the story of this Bohemian king going on a journey, braving harsh winter weather in order to give food to a poor peasant who lives by St. Agnes Fountain under the bridge. So here's a king involved in ministry to people living on the streets and his page, the king's servant, is also bringing more food and he's ready to give up because it's so cold. But what he sees is the footsteps of the king in the snow and so he steps in the king's footsteps and as he follows the footsteps of the king, he too is able to offer offerings. Isn't that a picture of the gospel? I love that. Wenceslas, I mean, I don't know if you know this, he was considered a martyr and a saint immediately after his death in the 10th century. One author says, but his deeds, the king's, 
I think you know better than I could tell you. For as is read in his writings, no one doubts that every night rising from his noble bed with bare feet, he went around to God's churches and gave generously to widows, orphans, those in prison, those who were sick, those afflicted by any difficulty, so much that he was considered not a prince, a prince but the father of all who are wretched. Wow. <laughs> you want to smell like Jesus? That's what it looks like. Sacrifice. Uh, so the application is amazing because in 2 Corinthians 4, and maybe you don't turn there just for the sake of time, but in 2 Corinthians 4, you know, what you read there that's so powerful is that we have the aroma of Christ because we have the life of Christ. We have the aroma of Christ in our humanity in earthen vessels, right? In, so that's us. And every time we say, not my will, but yours be done, then in that brokenness of our own will, the aroma of Christ is released. Because Christ is in the cup already. And all I need then is for the cup to be broken, for the aroma of Christ to be released. So every time you choose uh, to take the smaller piece of pie this week, because there are hungrier people at the table or whatever, that's the aroma of Christ. Every time you give generously, sacrificially, that's the aroma of Christ. Your choice to confine your sexuality to the covenant of marriage, that's the aroma of Christ. Your, your choice to cross a social divide, that's the aroma of Christ. Your choice to forgive someone who's wronged you, that's the aroma of Christ. Over and over again, our, you know, we're living this life and every act of self-denial is aroma. And in fact, then it says in 2 Corinthians 2, which brings us to our final point, <laughs> becoming the aroma. Paul says, look, I'm confident that my life is the aroma of Christ. And then watch the direction of the smoke. To God, because it goes up, but among people. Because though it's going up, I smell it. To God, among people. People ask me, what's up with Bethany? Are you guys like, Seeker-friendly? I don't even know what that means. I, I say, look, here, the, here's, this is what we're trying to do. We want to be an aroma to God. God's the object of our worship. God's the reason for our sacrifice. God's the reason we serve other people. Everything is an offering to God, but we're mindful that though the smoke goes up, it also kind of wafts horizontally to God among people. We are the presence of Christ. That's our calling. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. So that Paul redefines success in 2 Corinthians 2 and he says, I'm always in a state of triumph. In spite of the fact that I'm arrested, beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, left for dead, my life is defined by one word, triumph. How can you say that, Paul, when you're broke, sick, shipwrecked? That does not look like triumph. Yeah. Oh, yes, because here's the definition of triumph. Do people smell Jesus? It's all that matters. And, and, and in fact, people do smell Jesus. And people, when the aroma of Christ is offered to God, the aroma of Christ goes this way. And how is the aroma released? Brokenness, that's how. It's the only way. In other words, my will must be broken. My life must be broken. It's my brokenness that allows the aroma of Christ to be released. 
So this releasing of Christ's aroma is worship. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Offer your bodies a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable. This is your service of worship. Offer your bodies to God. What does that mean? All that I am, body, soul, and spirit, it's all God's. And then I'm mindful, this is the beauty of it, I'm mindful that when I offer myself to God, then what God is able to do through that offering is God is able to use exactly my brokenness for the aroma of Christ to be revealed. Exactly where I'm broken, the very thing I would never want or choose, that's right where God meets me and the the aroma of Christ is released right there. Isn't that remarkable? (laughs) Like a life-threatening illness. Children who aren't living the life we want. Unemployment. A word at the oncology ward. It's right there. I would never choose it. I'll never forget my friend Doug who died of cancer. I was living in Friday Harbor. And, and this guy had been part of my church for a long time. But if I could be honest with you, uh, in early on, he, I didn't like this guy because every time I spoke, he just came up and criticized me. Too loud, too fast, too intellectual, too boring, whatever. I was like, oh, yeah, here, here, here comes Doug. Bah, you know, garlic. <laughs> Get away. <laughs> Doug. And then he was diagnosed with cancer. And he disappeared for a few weeks. And he showed up one, sat- one Saturday, he showed up. And we're living in a little trailer. And he comes, he knocks on the door. He says, here's my check. I want to make sure that I'm tithing. And, he, and then he said, and I just want you to know, I've been playing your cassettes while I've been getting chemo. And I started to weep. He said, God's changing me. And then he said, and then I'll never forget it because he looked me right in the eyes and he's got tears. He says, Richard, I, how could I even be saying this? I thank God for this cancer. And he very quickly he went on. He said, I'm, don't get me wrong. I'm, I don't want cancer. But, and I'm not really thankful for the cancer. I'm thankful for what God is creating in me because of the, what's happened to me. I'm thankful. Do you hear that? I'm thankful for what God is creating in me. What's happening? It, watch. In his brokenness, the aroma that is Christ is being released. The very thing none of us would ever choose. Losing my dad at 17. Losing my sister when she was 42. Someone catches their husband involved in addictive behavior. I mean, the very thing. We, like, we, no one wants it. Here's the beauty of the gospel. God meets us right there. Not only meets us there to comfort us, but in our brokenness, the aroma is released. So uh, this Christmas, my prayer for myself and for all of you is that the smells of Christmas would remind us that we're an aroma. You smell an evergreen tree and maybe go home and do this with your kids on Christmas morning because you won't be here, right? We're going to send out a little gift to you and maybe you watch that, but you won't be here. But just break a needle and note the power of the smell once the needle is broken versus when it's not broken. And then talk to your children about that.
Because it's the broken vessel that reveals the aroma. So how do we close this morning? Well, uh, I brought this little thing that I have and I use at home where I put a little oil with some water up here and it makes a nice little smell. And so if you would in your bulletin this morning, just, you know, write somewhere at the bottom, uh, my brokenness is, and name it. And just bring it up here and pray that God would use that brokenness to reveal Christ. And don't pray it as a request. Give thanks. Because that's the promise of Scripture. In our brokenness, people smell Jesus. This is Paul saying, Corinthians 4. So death works in us in order that life might work in you. Where's God breaking you? And if, you can, if you're not being broken right now, but you want to pray for somebody who is, then name their brokenness. But then uh, as you bring these up here, I promise you this, uh, I'll read them and then I'll burn them. And there'll be a sweet aroma in my wood stove. <laughs> Shall we worship together in response? Father, meet us now. We're broken people. When we hide our brokenness from each other, uh, then we miss the opportunity for transformation. So give us the grace to share courageously this morning in response. Also, Father, thank you that the beauty of the gospel isn't that we're granted immunity from suffering. The beauty is that right in the midst of our brokenness, the scent of Christ is revealed. Meet us in response. We pray in the name of Christ who is our hope. Amen. If you want to take a whiff of this, you can bring them right up to this very place. Otherwise, anywhere up here works. But let's pray together as we worship in response.